Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. He is worthy. I'm expecting of that day where we'll gather around the very throne room of heaven where every tribe and every nation uh, will confess that he is Lord. I'm grateful for, for uh, just the blessing of, of being able to do what we've done this morning to uh, connect these services together. What, a, what a, just an incredible day. Can we, can we give a hand to our band and to our choir this morning? I mean, what, a, what an incredible... Uh, what an incredible group of just such gifted people. Cowie has been blessed in uh, just an incredible way with gifted musicians and singers and those who are willing to give of their time and to uh, use their gifts to lead us uh, in worship to our great God. Uh, one team that is behind the scenes that I want us just to give a shout out to this morning is our tech team. There is a lot. Yeah, let's give them a, a hand this morning. I, they kind of blend into the background a lot of times, and that's the way they like it. Uh, if, if you're turning and looking at them, it's probably not a good thing, right? You're wondering, hey, what? But, but it's just incredible what God uh, is doing through them. I was able to uh, kind, of, kind of had to worship from home last week and uh, just to, to be able uh, to lean into the live stream and just see uh, how all that came together. It was just an incredible blessing to me to see what kind of just amazing team that God has assembled here in uh, this church, uh, just to see Pastor Chris go on and just every piece of our service. Uh, you'd have never known I was not here. And I'm so, so grateful uh, for that. Uh, what an incredible day uh, this morning to be able to, to worship simultaneously at the same time in both of our, our worship areas. It's a, it's a great blessing that we can't fit uh, in a room, and I am thankful uh, for this gift. Special thanks to our homecoming committee. Uh, that's Gene Davis, Amelia Johnson, and Frankie Reynolds for all their work uh, on today and putting all that together. There's folks in the, the kitchen right now, and we are, are going to be so grateful for them, right? They are uh, putting things together and going to just prepare for that incredible meal. So we're grateful uh, for all of those that have served in any way this morning. And, you know, as we met and prayed about this service and as we thought about what uh, today might look like, the word home just to continue to resonate uh, with us. And it's my hope today that as we lean into the word of God, that we might see home different, right? That we might walk out these doors and we might see home in a different light than we uh, have ever seen. That we might have a new perspective. That we might have a new passion as followers of Jesus Christ. And that we might have a sense of renewed purpose in our walk with him. Now, I, I think about that word home. And, and I wonder what comes to your mind when you think of the word home. Think about that just a second. You think of mama's cooking. You know, that's something I can think about when I think of home. I think about this place that you can always go. Like no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what, what's happening in the midst of the world, it's like this place you can always go. When I, I think of home, I think of this place that we live. Uh, I was asking my wife yesterday, we were driving. I said, what do you think of when you think of home? She said, snugly. I said, I can't wait to get home, honey. That's your awesome moment. It's like, we'll snuggle as soon as we get there. And so, uh, but, but, but when you think of those kind of things, right? You think of the word peace, maybe. You think of those kind of moments, a place of comfort, a place that you can be yourself, right? When I, when I think of homecoming, 
I think of a meal around a table. Uh, you might think of that when you think of home. You might think of those kind of things. I think of, of people being homesick, right? I've taken groups of students to camp before, and, and we've been all the way at, at Caswell down at the coast, right? And there's been times where people have gotten homesick and been ready to get back home. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, right, when I think of home, there's this longing that we have, right? We think of heaven and we think of all that God has prepared for us. We think of all of the things that await us there. We think about the glory of just being in his presence, right? The presence of our Savior. And we think of those things and then we look around at where we live and there's this incredible contrast between those two things, right? We look around and we see the brokenness and we see difficulty and we see suffering and hurting and we look toward those days and we long for those days where we will be home. But there's a reality that God has purpose for us here until we get there. And maybe one of the greatest questions that every church and every believer needs to ask themselves is what do we do until we get there? What do we do in the meantime, right? What do we do? How do we live here until we get there. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter number 29. You can take your copy of God's word and turn to Jeremiah 29. And before we even get there, just like the word homecoming might take us to banana pudding, just like the word home uh, takes us to a meal, uh, takes us to a time uh, around family, takes us to snuggling, whatever that is for you, right? When you think about those words, when we hear Jeremiah 29, when we hear that passage, right? Immediately our mind shift to Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And some of you probably drunk uh, something out of a coffee cup uh, with that on the side of it this morning. Uh, there are folks that when you hear that verse, that you have said, you know what? This is amazing. I'm so glad we're going to be here today because that is my life verse. That is a verse that means so much to me. And so in the way that you would probably read it on your coffee cup, the scripture says this in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And we read those things. And a lot of times uh, we see those on greeting cards. And when you buy graduation cards this year, watch and see how many of those are there. And we read it. And many times we read that and we say, you know, God must mean me right now. Like in this moment, like God knows the plans he has for me. And, and he has plans to prosper me and plans for hope and a future and all those things. And then we look around sometimes though. And the reality is that maybe we're going through some difficult stuff. Maybe we're walking through the midst of cancer. Maybe we're walking through the midst of the loss of loved ones. Maybe we're walking in the midst of that. Maybe we're walking in the midst of home and there's a brokenness that's all around us. Maybe we're in those kind of moments and we're saying, God, what do you mean here, right? What do we do that? Does this mean you're going to make me wealthy? Does this mean you're going uh, to do those kind of things? What does that, what does that mean? And we're going to lean into that and we're going to see who God was writing to and we're going to see some truths today that we can take from this passage of scripture and that can give us hope way beyond the moments that we are in right now and they give us purpose and they give us passion and they give us uh, an, an incredible perspective on this home away from home. So let's jump in and see where we're at this morning. Beginning in verse 1, Jeremiah chapter number 29, the scripture says this, now these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to 
Babylon. So, so we're going to skip down. Uh, you'll see some different names and how the letter got there. Uh, but we see in verse 1, right, who uh, this letter was sent to. In verse 4, uh, we're going to see that the scripture says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, now notice a few things about this passage. Now, uh, these Jews, they would have thought, hey, we are, we've been exiled. We've been taken into Babylon. And God is wanting them to understand something about this, right? It wasn't uh, that the people of God were overthrown uh, by a greater ruler. It wasn't those kind of things. But God says, listen, you have been uh, walking in idolatry. There are things that have been going on uh, in uh, my people. You've been in rebellion against me. And he says, I have sent you in to exile, right? The reason that they were there was the discipline of the Lord. But God is working in, in a much greater way, right? They had rebelled against God. They had disobeyed God. They had turned to false gods. They had turned to idols. And God says, because of that, because of your ill behavior, because of your idolatry, because of your sinfulness, for the next 70 years, now this is what you need to understand about this verse that we're reading. For the next 70 years, he says, you're going to be under the control of the Babylonians. You're going to be in exile. And when you wonder why you're there, you remember that I sent you there. Now, this was a big deal. These people had lost everything. Uh, they had, many had lost family members. They had lost their homes. They would have felt hopeless. They would have been in these moments. They would have been in this kind of turmoil. And God sends them a letter, right? And we should open the Bible. And we should open it with that kind of expectation and say that God has given us a letter. Like the word of God for us, for the people of God in these moments. And, and they get this letter, right? And, and he says, this is how you are to live. He says, you're in exile. And this is how you live. Now, don't think the ground that they were in was neutral ground. We know some things about the Babylonians and the way that they would deal with nations that they would conquer and, and the way that they would, uh, would do those things would be through indoctrination, right? We read the book of Daniel and we see how they are educating and they are indoctrinating and, and their goal uh, for these exiles, right? The goal of Babylon. And, and when we think about the world that we live in as exiles far from home, right? When we think about that, the goal of Babylon, the goal of this world, world, right, is to take and cause people and to shift people and to try to get them to see life through the lens of Babylon instead of through the lens of the word of God. The, the rulers of Babylon, they would have wanted them to look like them. They would have wanted them to blend in like them. They would have wanted them uh, to be in that kind of place. And I imagine these people would have hated their captors. Uh, they would have hated the city. They would have hated the place that they had been taken. How they would long for home. How they would long for those moments. And their natural tendency would have been just to separate and to say, you know what, I'm going to pull back from all of this. I'm going I'm to find a fortress around me and, and those uh, Hebrews that are, that are with me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find a place and we're just going to hide out because we sure don't want to do anything much here. We sure don't want to raise a family here. We sure don't want to walk in those kind of things. And then God says something incredible in verse 5, something they probably would not have expected. And he says, build houses. He said, listen, my people. He said, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Verse 6, he said, take wives and snuggle and become the fathers of 
Sorry, I couldn't resist that. And come the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give daughters to your husband that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not increase. And then in verse 7, and this would have been mind-boggling in this moment, right? You've been taken captive. You've, you've been taken from your homeland. You've lost family members. These people have harmed you in incredible ways. And he said, here's how I want my people to live in exile. Here's how I want my people to live in Babylon. And he says this, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And they don't seek the welfare of the city and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will be, you will have welfare. He said, listen, grow and multiply. Uh, don't look at these moments you're in and, and, and just hole up and, and, and soul around and be upset and, and walk around like, you, like a, a mule that's been eating persimmons, right? Just, you, you got to get in this thing. And here's the deal. You're to live as citizens of the kingdom of God right where you are at. And, and he says you're to seek the welfare. And if you look in the Hebrew, it's the word shalom. And it's this picture of total, this picture of this, this welfare that, that is holistic, right? That, that, that they would prosper the city, that they would seek the, this, the good of the city in every way, spiritually, emotionally, physically, all these things, that they would desire the shalom of the city, that this is what they are to seek. They're to pray to the Lord on its behalf, and they're to make a difference where they have been planted. And in its welfare, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, they were thinking, hey, we're probably not going to be here long. We're going to go, and, and we'll just be here a little while. Let's just kind of sit back. And the Lord addresses that. In chapter 28, uh, you can read uh, of these that were claiming to be prophets. Uh, you, you can read of those that were saying, hey, don't worry. You're only going to be here a little while. In two years, you're going home. Uh, you're going to see those kind of things. But, but we know they were false prophets, right? Verse 8. Scripture says, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you and do not listen to the dreams which they dream for they prophesy falsely in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Now, now, can I remind you this morning that false prophets are always ready to tell you whatever you want to hear. And false prophets, they come around and they always say they have good news. But I want you to understand it's fake news. And when the news that somebody's telling is not the truth, then it's not good news. No matter how much uh, it tickles our ears, no matter how much that happens, right? Second Timothy 4 says there's going to be a time when people will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for them teachers in accordance to their own desires. Listen, if you want to live and walk in sin, you'll find somebody that'll tell you it's okay. But I want you to understand that God's word does not change. And as exiles in the midst of Babylon, we're not going to be conformed to the culture that's around us, but we're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind as the word of God is, is processed and taken in. Verse 10, he says, thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you future and a hope. Now, this is written to elders and exiles, to those, like if you're an elder and you read something and you're 70, just, just like to put this in perspective. If you read something and you're 70 and you read the Jeremiah 29, 11 coffee cup verse, like you're like, I'm so glad the Lord has these plans for me and all these kind of things. But I want you to understand if you're 70 and it's going to be 70 years, you add that up, those people weren't going home. There, there, there were generations to come after them 
that were going to experience the blessings, but they were called to live for the city that they were in and to live and reflect the glory of God. And there's some incredible truths that we see in this passage. He says, listen, you're exiled, but the plans I have for my people are great. There's going to be a great homecoming. And I want us to transition over to Pastor Ron, and we're going to lean into some truths that we can see in this passage. Thank you, Pastor Jason. The word home has a different connotation. When this world feels less and less familiar and when heaven seems more and more inviting. The normal Christian life is no longer the norm in this world. And we find ourselves feeling like aliens in a strange land. We find great similarity between our place in today's world and the lot of the Jewish people who had been forced into exile in Babylon in the days of Jeremiah the prophet. They did not have a warm, fuzzy feeling about their homes in Babylon, but God spoke to them warmly about a future and a hope and a promise that he would never leave them nor forsake them. You see, Jesus is our home, and we are to abide in him here where we are. The world is not our ultimate home, but it is our mission field where God places us to live right now. Here, we are to raise families centered in Christ. Here, we are to work for the good of the community and the city and the world. Here, we are to love our neighbors so that we may live peaceable lives. As much as possible, we are to find favor as good neighbors. And we are, as often as possible, find opportunities for the gospel. God works through us where we are. And when we see where we are as the world that God loves so much that he sent his son, then we realize this is the home where God has sent us to work. Just as God sent Jesus, likewise, he sends us. Of course, that means that we have a job, a mission. The Bible tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. That is our calling here and now to all those around us. We are ambassadors. All we who have put our faith in Jesus Christ are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. You are. I am. However, in this life, we are exiles in a world which is not really our eternal home. So, there's a tension and there's a balance. We have a longing to be there with Christ Yet we have a commissioning from Christ Jesus to see the world just as God does. We don't love the things of the world, but our hearts are to be burdened with love for the people of this world. Now, how do, how do we do that? First, kingdom citizens, us, kingdom citizens look upward. We look upward. We are, after all, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Philippians 3.20 says, For our citizenship 
is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis said, the Christians who did most for this present world were precisely those who thought most of the next world. It is since Christians have begun thinking less of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. C.S. Lewis was right on target. If we are to be effective in this world, we must be rightly related to the Lord and have a clear Bible-based awareness of what awaits us in heaven. We're not exempted from life's trials and tribulations. We need to remember that we are strangers and pilgrims here and that heaven is our ultimate home. In Romans 8.18, Paul wrote, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed to us. That is our hope. The very hope Paul refers to when he says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. That is how we, as kingdom citizens, not only look upward, but also point upward so that others may see in the midst of a downcast world. Second, kingdom citizens look outward. We look outward. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We do not circle the wagons and look away from the world around us. We instead infiltrate the country and reach outward. That is the great commission from Jesus Christ, our Savior. How did Jesus love? Sacrificially. Facing outward to the world with his arms open wide. The world is to see Jesus at work when they encounter our love in action. Third, kingdom citizens also look inward. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, the Apostle Paul reminds us that, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We represent God's kingdom here. We must look inward to recognize who we are in Jesus Christ. Only then can we, as ambassadors for Christ, reach outward to the world with winsome appeal and say, be reconciled to God. Fourth, kingdom citizens look onward. In the book of Hebrews, we are told, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, 
fellow heirs of the same promise. Brothers and sisters, we are fellow heirs of that same promise. That is why this is called a homecoming. We are not home yet. We are going onward. We are coming home. We are to live for the good of the place where we are. And we are to long for the glory of the place prepared for us. Now, we are going to Pastor Chris, who is going to help us understand the common issues that we all face as kingdom citizens in this world. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ronnie. Um, such encouraging truths for us to have um, as kingdom citizens, that he has given us a plan and a purpose for our lives and um, great, great promises for our lives. But the reality is when we um, think about those things and we think about the reality of the world that we live in is that we all have issues, right? So let, let's be honest with ourselves. Maybe we should even just turn to our neighbor and say, hey, I've got issues, right? Go ahead, go ahead, turn to your neighbor. Yes, not you have issues, let's own. <laughs> Amen. Good. We, we've, we've gotten that out of the way, right? The reality is, yes, we all have issues. And we must understand that. So yet the promises of God and what he has for us are, are encouraging and exciting. The reality is there are some common issues that we all face, Right? There's this battle that we face as we live in exile here in a broken world as broken people trying to serve an amazing God, right? trying to serve a perfect God and his plans that are perfect, but yet we see some common issues that we all face. Uh, one of these, and I'm just going to touch on a few of them, and we could probably stay here all day, uh, but one of these issues is that we default to self. In this world, right? let's be honest, we're selfish, by nature, right, we are our selfish people. Um, if you've been married or if you've dated or if you've been in any kind of relationship, you understand how selfish we can be, right? That's why there are, are, are trials uh, in marriages and storms and relationships with, with friends and with dating and so on and so forth. And then bring kids in the mix. And then you see again how selfish we are and how selfish they are and how much time they take from us. But just look at just some of these natural relationships and we can see it doesn't take long for us to see the evidence of our selfishness and the selfishness of those that are around us. James 4 tells us that what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And so we see that there, there's a selfish nature that we have and that's a, a huge issue when we are thinking about, let alone being in a foreign land and loving our neighbors, not just loving our neighbors, but loving our enemies in, in this foreign land. But I'm also reminded of just a, a beautiful truth of the history of this church, that before this church was established, there were individuals that mortgaged their property, their farmland, that, that sacrificially said, 
I see a need here in this valley for a church, and they sacrificially gave for a place that we call Cowie, a place that we call our temporary home here and now. And so even though there are our issues there, we also see glimpses of the kingdom of God. We see how, how things work well when we are not selfish, but we are selfless and sacrificial in the way that we love. Another issue that, that, that we see um, is that we desire comfort, right? Just like uh, Sherry uh, shared, that home is, is comfy, <laughs> like to snuggle up, to get in your comfortable clothes, to let your hair down, to wear, you know, your... your PJs all day, whatever, your, your house slippers, to be comfortable and to be in your home. And we struggle to live uncomfortable lives in uncomfortable situations. You know, our natural instinct is to run to safety and to comfort, right? To, to run to, to the couch, to run to the refrigerator, to run to those things. And it would have been the natural thing for the, the, the disciples to stay in the upper room where it was safe and comfortable, where they were together all in one mind, devoting to prayer. But we see that in God's design that we thrive on mission. We thrive and we are strengthened and we are equipped in the uncomfortable situations, right? That we, we, we have to rely on faith and not on our own. And we see that it is God's design, right, that, that we run into the midst of brokenness because we have the answer to life, the difficulties of life, and that is Jesus, right? And not only that, um, not only do we drift towards, um, sorry, not only do we desire comfort, not only do we default to ourselves, but we, we drift towards apathy. We drift towards apathy in this world, right? We like instant gratification. We like to, to, for our needs to be met. We like um, the, the easy, the temporal. Um, we like those things. Naturally, that's what we, we run to. We don't like to be disciplined. We don't like to be told that we're wrong and to be corrected and trying to work through those issues that we have, but that's where growth happens. That's where strength happens. That's where we are fortified. That's where we are, are built up. And so we should run towards um, the things of the Lord, of compassion, of, of, of being empathetic and being intentional with our lives. You know, I, I'm reminded of, of, of just last week of an elderly, of a saint um, in this church that said, hey, I want to invite some of, some of the students into my home. I want to cook for them. I want to do life with them. I want to get to know them. Right? And we look at sometimes the teenagers and the students, and we're like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do with them? But we see here the intentionality. We see in this church, and it's such encouragement to my heart, that there are small group leaders, and there are adults, and there are individuals that are looking to, to bring them in, to love them, to do life with them. Ephesians 4 Verse 32 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know, it's been said that we don't drift towards holiness. We don't drift towards holiness, but we drift towards things like apathy. We drift towards the, the, our, our, our natural instincts of safety, of comfort, of self, and we don't drift towards holiness, but it is 
Intentionality. We must be intentional, taking every thought captive, intentionally working towards the things of, this Lord, of the Lord, working towards his promises and his truth. And that takes work, right? That takes selfless, sacrificial work to drift, not just not drift towards this world, but to, but to lean and to walk in the ways and the promises of God in this broken world with broken people. And the last one is that um, as we drift towards the things of this world, like when we drift towards our couch, we drift towards the news and we, and we hear and we listen and we think about the things of, the, of, of this world. And, and sometimes we do that to make ourselves feel better because it's like, all right, all this chaos is going out in this world, but it also creates in us an unhealthy, understand, uh, unhealthy fear. And so we become um, disabled by fear. You know, one of the other issues is that, is that fear we, we, we ask, what if, what if, what if? I remember in, our, in my own marriage and in my own life in parenting, it's like, man, do we, do we bring kids into this world? <laughs> you know? And the answer is yes. Who else will, will, will continue to share the gospel? Who will, else will be light? But those that, that know of Jesus and know of the gospel. And so even though there's a bunch of what ifs, right? I remember uh, the first time we did the school release where we went out in the middle of the school year, in the middle of the school day, and we brought them out of school for them to hear the gospel. There was a bunch of what ifs. What, what, what if this happens? What if there's pushback? What, 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 what if, what if, what if? And then it was this, well, what if God shows up? You know, what if the Lord is going to do something amazing with our students and this community? And what if? And so at times that fear can feel overwhelming, it can feel debilitating and disabling to us and can cause us to, to look inward, right? And not look outward, to not be missional, but to look inward, protect what we have. And that is not what the Lord has called us to do. He has called us to be on mission, right? Even on mission trips, when I think about the first time that I was able to go to Africa, you know, there's those, those questions, those fears. What if, what if something happens? What if, you know, what if... I, I, I die. What if these, I mean, whatever, in any, any mission trip, you answer those questions. They ask about how safe is it? What kind of people are we dealing with? What's going on? And you ask those questions naturally, but they're not, they should not debilitate us because as we read in Isaiah 41, it says, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not de be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I remember a story of, from 2020 um, that was just huge in my life and even other individuals. Remember in 2020, there was a lot going on. There's a lot of things closing. There's a lot of things stopping. And as leadership and as a church, you know, we were talking about some of this stuff. And as things were closing, one thing we realized is that camp was not going to close that we had an opportunity to bring students to camp. And so we were, we were wandering and there was wrestling and there was question. And when, as we were, 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 were trying to ponder what's the best thing to do, there was a part of, of fear and, and there was worry of, hey, what's gonna happen? And, and the, but then as we continued to work things out, we realized we were worried about some of our, our own comforts, of our own safety, because the students were not being affected the way the elderly or the older generation or, or, or others in leadership that were trying to ponder those questions. And we went to camp 
And we brought our largest group at that time uh, to camp. And there was great, a great time at camp. And the students were able to work through a lot of things. And for me, as, as a student pastor, it was, it was some of the hardest, but some of the most beautiful times for me as we walked, not in fear, but by faith and in obedience to the Lord. And these students had a great time. And I'm so grateful for a church that, that helps to, to ponder and to look, but sacrificially loves our students, loves the church, and is looking out for the well-being of the church. And so if we're honest, we're going to say, yes, I believe the promises of God. Yes, I truly believe them. But at times, we need to honestly look at our lives and, and ask God to search us and know us. Reveal in our hearts these things that ought not to be. Where are we being crippled or disabled by fear? Where are we being selfish when we should be sacrificial and selfless? And as we continue to look and finish up this passage of scripture, let's look to Pastor Jason for what we are to do here and now as we see the promises of God and we understand our natural instincts to run away from them. Thank you, Chris. And, you know, I think about what that question is, like, what do we do now? And, and that's really a a question that we all have to ask. And, and I, I want to just think and, and share that in some ways, I believe what it is, is we keep doing what we have been doing. Well, when I look back as a church, our God has been so faithful. The Reverend Humphrey Posey and Stephen White had a vision in 1828 to establish a fellowship in an area that was fertile for cultivation. And I want to remind you this morning that their vision continues to grow. Cowie Baptist Church had 15 charter members who having first giving themselves up to the Lord and to one another constituted the church on March 15th of, 18th, of 1828 making it the second Baptist church in Macon County. Posey was a missionary, and he was taking the gospel to the people of Cowie Valley, to a, a group and to a field fertile for cultivation. But I want to remind you this morning that God was doing something greater, that God was doing something greater than these men knew. And I believe as we gather this morning that God continues to desire to do something greater. God birthed this church in 1828, and when this church was birthed, he knew about us. And 194 years later, hundreds gather to praise and worship our great God. And like them, if we continue to give ourselves up to the Lord and to one another. It will be amazing at what God can do through his people here. So many moments of faith, so many moments of God's provision. And as I reflect on all of that, how God has worked through generations before, how God continues to work through us in these moments, a people who are looking outside their needs with a heart to reach people for the glory of God, a heart for future generations, right? God gave Cowie a vision to reach people from that that little church meeting in a schoolhouse to what we are experiencing today. People who are making a difference in our community, in our town, meeting needs and sharing the gospel, right? We recognize that as we go into this world, right, that our welfare is connected to the welfare of this city. If you want to know what Cowie is going to look like in 50 years and how well this church will be doing and what things will be going on, you can also look at the world that's around us and at the level that this culture and that this world and that our schools and that our workplaces and that our communities have been impacted by the gospel. And as people go out and engage in our community, you will see an, an, a direct impact on the welfare of this 
church. So what do we do, church? We love God with everything. We love one another. We love people. And we continue to put that love in action. We do that. The way that that looks, we continue. We live productive Christian lives in this world. We live for the glory of God and for the good of our city. And what I want to encourage you to do is have fun and enjoy life. To, 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 to desire more than anything else that we might hand off a baton of faith to a generation where they might grow up to know and love Jesus. Those elders that heard some of this message, it was 70 years before uh, th- this homecoming was going to take place. But for a generation to come, they were investing their lives and they were making a difference in the city. And if we are going to do that, this place needs to be a place where the lost are found, where people are invited into this fellowship and where you and I are sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and where when the found get here. Can I remind you that we are not uh, here simply just to enjoy and what an enjoyment it is to come and worship our great God together and enjoy food and enjoy fellowship but we are here to grow in maturity in Jesus Christ and this must be a place where the lost are found and where those found people are matured in Jesus Jesus Christ and sent out on mission for the glory of his name and together as a, co- as a cooperation of believers as a corporate group of people who are following Jesus Christ a church goes out into the community and they meet the very deepest needs of our community that's what it looks like to be a church in the midst of a broken world we live and we live to prosper the city that we're in. We, we, we engage in things. We vote. I'm so grateful to see that we have people who are part of public office in our church and who are desiring to live godly lives. Teachers who are, are investing in our students, law enforcement officers, business owners, workers, coaches, people who are seeking the welfare of the city because the reality is that Cowie Valley, that Franklin, North Carolina, that Macon County, that Western North Carolina, that you your workplace and that your family that it ought to be better because you're there because when you're a follower of Jesus Christ when you're there he's there I want you to understand that this is not uh, the place that God dwells inside of you now when we gather here the spirit of God is here and he is here with us and the manifest presence of God falls on this place and there are those things but I want you to understand that wherever you go as a follower of Jesus Christ he is with you and wherever you are at is better because he is there. We look and we look at our city and we say, I'm not here to take. I'm here to give. I'm here to bless. I'm here to let my light shine. As Matthew said in Matthew 5, 16, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works, that they might see the way that you are meeting needs, that they might see those things and they would bring glory to your Father who is in heaven. We live in that way. I want to share just a story in closing, and uh, I've been uh, intrigued by a book. Uh, A man named Rodney Stark wrote a book. He's a sociologist, and it's called The Rise of Christianity. It's an intriguing book, and he is looking at how there's been this exponential growth. And by the way, uh, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts small. It starts in discipling relationships. It starts in families. It starts in places where the kingdom of God grows, where we see this exponential work that is bigger than we could ever imagine, but it starts slow. 
it works silent. It's incredible in the way that it works. But he writes, how did Christianity go from being something that was so small to something that had literally saturated the Greco-Roman Empire? And as he writes those things and he looks at it from a sociologist's perspective, he looks and he examines the Greco-Roman Empire when all the plagues went through. And so in those moments, right, there were, there were very competing philosophies. There were all kinds of things, much like Babylon, much like today. And here was this place. And, and, and when, when the, the plagues came through, it was incredible what happened. Christianity, uh, he says this, Christianity offered a much more satisfactory account of why these terrible times had fallen on humanity. And it projected a hopeful, even enthusiastic portrait of the future. When these people heard uh, the story of the gospel and they were told about a future and a hope that is way beyond these moments, right? It, it helped them to understand that God is with them, not just only through the hard times, but there is a day coming. There is a hope way beyond these moments, right? Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you. We know that there's coming a day where all things are going to be made new and you're going to be here a while. But until that day, you, uh, you just serve and love your city. You serve and you love your place. You engage in it and you look toward home because one day you are coming home. And what happened in these moments, the pagans would flee uh, these cities in terror. But what happened is Christians would remain and they would take care of the sick. What happened when everyone else was running, they were ministering to those who were weak and weary and they were putting blankets on them. And those people that they were ministering to, their survival rates were going up in incredible ways. Now there were many believers that died in those things. There were many believers that did that. But by the end of the epidemic, there was something amazing that took place. The, 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 the population of Christians increased in, in ways that were bigger than they could imagine because when people got through the sickness and they looked around at those believers who had loved on them, they did not forget. And they wondered, why are you here? Why are you putting blankets on me? Why are you caring for me in the midst of these moments? And there was no money that they were looking for. There was not anything for their own gain. They were loving them because of that's who they were in Jesus Christ. And that's who Jesus was living through them. They understood that they are here for the welfare of their city and they're to live for the glory of God. They were here for them and they were not afraid of death. They were not afraid of things that might come on them because they trust in a sovereign God who was with them and who promised to never leave them or forsake them. And what we saw is by AD 300, most of the cities in the Roman Empire were Christian. And one of the questions that we wonder sometimes, and I'm so grateful for the technology that has allowed us to gather in one service in, in just a really creative and crazy way. And sometimes we're thinking, what are we going to do with all the people that God continues to bring to Cowie? What are we going to do in those things? But what I want to ask you this morning, or what are all the people that God is bringing to Cowie going to do as we leave this place and engage in our city for the glory of His name? And my challenge for all of us is that we might live for the glory of God and for the good of our city. And in that, we will find our welfare. Jeremiah 29, verse 12 and 13 says this, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Listen, that's what we do, church. We continue to be a church that loves God and we seek him with all of our heart. We lean in those quiet times and we say, God, what do you want from my life? And I want to challenge every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ to ask that very question this day. What do you want me to do? Who is it that you want me to go and engage? Where have you placed me? And you remember that God sent them into exile and what looked like exile to them looked like evangelism to him. And when you are in the place that you were 
at. While it may seem like your workplace is weary, while it may seem that there's all kind of things going in all kind of directions, where you are at is a place where God wants the gospel to go forth. And we have to be a people that will say, you know what, I'm not going to live for myself, but I'm going to live for the glory of God and the good of my city. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never trusted him, we pray that today would be the day of salvation, that we would recognize that Jesus stepped out from the glories of heaven, that he came into a broken world and that he lived a sinless life and he lived a life that we could not live, right? He lived a life that we couldn't do it and he died a death that we deserved but that we could not uh, pay. We owed a debt that we could not pay and he gave us what the most beautiful example of sacrificially loving a people was and he died in our place and he's made a way for us to be restored in relationship with God and if you have never trusted in Jesus Christ this morning, we pray that you would call upon his name. The scripture says that if we would confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, that we could be saved, that whoever would call upon his name shall be saved. And remember what he said in Jeremiah, and it's a principle that we can carry with us that we will find him when we seek after him with all of our heart, and that is the way that we come to Christ. We come to him with everything, with all of our heart surrendered to him, and then we are sent on mission for the glory of his name. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we are so grateful for the blessing of being part of such a special time today. And Father, we pray. God, we pray for our, for your church here at Cowie, Lord. And we pray and thank you for every person. God, I believe with all my heart you are assembling an army of believers. God, that can make an impact in this world that's greater than we could ever imagine. God, I'm reminded that we're empowered by the Spirit of God that lives in us to, to be able, uh, Lord, to do abundantly above what we even ask or think, Lord. So we pray uh, this morning, God, that in the power of your Spirit, God, you might call us, Lord, to embrace this mentality, Lord, where we live not only, Lord, just as, as citizens in the kingdom of God, but as productive citizens of this kingdom here. Lord, as people who are living for the welfare of the place you have placed us. And may there be many that know you many, Lord, that are changed by your gospel as a result of the people that leave here sharing the good news, Lord, the truth of the gospel. Father, we ask you, Lord, if there's anyone here that's never trusted you for salvation, Lord, that today they would seek after you with all of their heart, that they would respond to the good news of the gospel in wholly surrendering their life to you, Lord, being forgiven of their sin and transformed in the newness of life through the power of your spirit and the good news of the gospel. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me as we worship?